0: NFL Draft tonight. Glad you're with us. And just like that, Chad, the final hour of big Hot Mike on this day. Thursday is here. It's
2: a big day. It's been a big show so far, and we have entered the final hour of the show. I'm hyped, ready to go, Hutton, NFL Draft tonight. You know who Hi. else is hyped? Lamar Jackson. I thought you were going to say Josh Heupel. He's hyped, too. Who will Speaking of hype,
0: join us in 20 minutes.
2: Look at Hutton having the better tie-in than me. It sounded like I even had I a great tie-in when what I was doing. I'm trying Hutton to follow you. I, just threw the, I unknowingly threw a softball up to Hutton, and he just knocked it out of the park. Heupel grand slam, 400-foot home run. Josh Heupel so, coming up in 20 minutes.
0: Reports were that Lamar Jackson last August turned down $131 million guaranteed on a contract. Um, he has agreed to a five-year extension. Reports are the deal is signed with Baltimore. And as we begin the final hour, the details are beginning to come out through reports. Um, Josina Anderson says that it's a five-year contract worth up to $260 million. That is roughly 5 or $6 million more in total contract value than what Jalen Hurts received, what was it, at the beginning of last week. Yep. What's important, though, is Jalen Hurts with the non injury guarantee is guaranteed somewhere around 110 million of that money. Lamar Jackson, according to Jacina Anderson, is getting 185 million guaranteed of this $260 million five year contract extension with Baltimore. So if you buy in that he turned down 131 last August, a year later, he is going to sign for a total guarantee of 185, of up to 260 million. It's not the fully guaranteed deal that was being reported that he wanted from the jump, but a month after saying he wanted to be traded, Baltimore makes him the new highest-paid player.
2: And isn't this what was reported that, that he was offered in guaranteed money before? Wasn't it around the 185
0: mark? No, it was the the, the first offer, the last offer that they say they gave him. It. It went up to 200 million in the fifth year, but they could get out of that prior to the okay. fifth year, just like any NFL contract, yeah. where you can cut a player. And
2: I'm just concerned with the guaranteed part
0: of it. Me uh, too. How much was the guaranteed portion of the last offer? Uh, the last guaranteed money I've seen was 131. That was a year, and year. that was in August. Okay. And so now he's the highest paid player in annual average annual value. But the important part is it's a five year contract where at least he gets 185 million now. Um, in total contract value, what he's getting is not even comparable to what Patrick Mahomes received a couple of years back on that big 10-year, $500 million deal. But he now gets a million more than Jalen Hurts on the upcoming value of the contract. He gets $2 million more than Aaron Rodgers, but I'm going to tie in Aaron Rodgers here in just a moment with what they're doing in New York. And then there's Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray still up there. Chad, this is a great day. Not just for Lamar Jackson to the Baltimore Ravens, but Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes, because he knows after he slips down into like the seven, eight, nine category of the average annual value, Kansas City is going to take care of him. And he knows that because the general manager has already said that they're going to wait until this round of contract extensions are complete. And then they're going to make him the highest paid player again.
2: What's going to be fascinating is to see what these teams, where they slot those players that are remaining on this list. Example, is Justin Herbert ahead of Jalen Hurts or below Jalen Hurts? He's going to argue, I'm ahead of Jalen Hurts. I deserve more money. Right. I could easily make the argument, no, you need to go slightly underneath that number. If we're setting the bar... So here was the Jalen Hurts bar, and now Lamar Jackson goes over that bar. I'm fine with that, by the way, that Lamar Jackson goes over Jalen Hurts. I would argue that Justin Herbert should go below Jalen Hurts. His management's not going to argue that way. That's going to be interesting to see how they slide. Now, Joe Burrow, probably ahead of these guys.
0: He'll be the new highest pay. He'll be the new highest pay, yes. Um, While we're talking Ravens, so by this new extension, they have reduced his upcoming salary against the cap, and that should open the door for the Ravens to be in the mix for a potential trade for DeAndre Hopkins. So in the offseason they could have, theoretically based on by the time this, this weekend is up, they could have acquired DeAndre Hopkins. The Bills are also in play. The Ravens could have added Hopkins plus Odell Beckham Jr., and then they still get their franchise quarterback back under contract.
2: Where do you want to go if you're DeAndre Hopkins, if it's down to Buffalo and Baltimore?
0: I mean, personally, I would play in Buffalo because he's not the number one guy there. Hopkins becomes the number one. And look, I'm saying that based on where they are age-wise, where they are in their career, and the opportunity with a passing quarterback like we've seen with Josh Allen versus where the offense is structured, which is through the tight ends and down the middle of the field, really, with Baltimore. I would go to Buffalo, but I would also go where the team's going to pick up the contract that he's got in Arizona. That's what it comes in. And, and now Baltimore, up to the contracts point with Lamar, they have opened up this piece of their salary cap now to make that move if they want. Um, speaking of big money, the Jets have pushed Aaron Rodgers' $58.3 million option bonus to next year. So, all that talk about the september option bonus that has been pushed to 2024 which means he has a 47 million dollar option bonus already for next year he will have a 1.21 million salary this year and as a result next year's compensation and this to me signals absolutely he's playing because of this number the roster bonus numbers combined chad 2024 for Aaron Rodgers in New York, $107 million is what he's going to get to play for the Jets with how they've pushed the money down the hill. I thought
2: that yesterday's press conference was very good. Me too. And I thought Aaron Rodgers did a
0: really good job. And guess, and guess, Aaron guess Rogers, who's in the building working out today with teammates in the offseason? Aaron A-Rod. Rodgers. You know what else? Aaron Rodgers looks
2: um, less like a guy who Healthy? takes ayahuasca. <laughs> Than he ever has in a long time. And it's remarkable because he just went on a Costa Rican tripping retreat, essentially. And he comes back and he looks like uh, he could be a finance guy in Manhattan. Uh, He does. Looking at him with the haircut. I mean, he doesn't look like a guy on ayahuasca for the first time in a while. But he is, in fact, a guy on ayahuasca right now. So I I like what the role he's playing here with the Jets. I thought he handed himself, all kidding aside, very well. I thought everyone involved did a good job in that press conference yesterday. And good move to not, you know, try to take Joe Namath's number. And Joe Namath, I know, said as much. But that's the right move when you come into a new well, franchise. Well, Namath,
0: uh, Broadway Joe gave him the blessing to wear 12.
2: But, and then he also said, but he did the right thing by yeah. paying honor to, to, you know, to Joe Namath with the Jets.
0: Chad, tonight, NFL draft. The NFL creates this drama and mystery, and they sell hope better than any league in an offseason to their fan base. You've got the mystery, the drama, the anticipation, uncertainty, pick by pick. It's a perfect script for sports fans if you're wanting to go to a good game. Like if you leave and you have all of those elements, it made for a great Sunday afternoon in the NFL. What the NFL has done, though, is they have bottled this atmosphere and they've put it into, especially the first round, but over a three-day weekend now that they take their carnival on the road, tonight's in Kansas City. 10 million viewers, at least, will tune in with ABC and ESPN plus NFL Network, and they'll listen to Roger Goodell, pick by pick, rattle these guys off. 17 of them of the 31 will be present in KC, and... 300,000 fans in Kansas City over the course of the three days are expected to go see this in person. Meanwhile, you have ESPN and ABC devoting 35 hours of live programming of the event. You have 55 cameras, 8 production trucks, over 600 edited video packages. And tonight, they'll sell ads that are worth up to $16 million for a random Thursday in April where the football isn't even present on the screen for the sport in which they play. It's remarkable what they've done and how they build this hype and drama. And to be honest, they've done it because the teams play ball with them on this. Carolina hasn't announced exactly who they're taking. They haven't announced, oh, we've agreed to terms. Technically, they could agree to terms with the the contract ready to go for Bryce Young. We've seen that in the past. It goes to the highest bidder if you, you know, Want to try to negotiate that. You don't do that anymore. You create the anticipation and drama of that. Houston's helping out. But every team in what may may or may not be done tonight. Plus, how long ago was it, Chet? Five, six years ago on social media? Schefter, Rappaport, and others. Tipping picks. Tipping picks. That doesn't happen anymore. ESPN frowns on that now. They want the live coverage to be the first coverage, even though what is quote-unquote live, is really on delay by 30 or 40 seconds. And you can prove that by the others that are in the draft room that are tipping picks on social media versus when it actually gets announced. All of that leads into the numbers. The NBA draft can pull around 3 million viewers. And tonight, in a draft that's not really hyped up all that much compared to what we've seen in years past, I know the quarterback drama is there, but outside of the five quarterbacks we've been discussing – There's not a lot of debate on the players in the first-round pool, and it's still going to pull triple the number of an NBA draft on the same network that will try to hype it the same way.
2: It's a remarkable event because it is the handshake between two of the biggest sporting entities in our country, NFL and college football. Yeah. It's why I get hyped up for it every single year. The production value that you just referenced, Hutton, blows me away all the time, especially when you get to Saturday of the draft and you're getting deeper in the rounds and you're going to find guys with film at Tarleton State, as an example, and you North Carolina A&T, and they've got footage of everyone. They've got stories about everyone on the broadcast. It amazes me every single year and I love it more and more simply because it's my two favorite sports, the NFL. And college football, let me go in reverse order, college football and the NFL. And it's the one night it gets together. And here's why the NFL can sell hope to everyone better than any other sports league is because it's legitimate because the salary cap and the structure of the league and the draft and everything else around it makes for a league where everyone is designed to go about 500. Well, guess what that leads to hope? Even for teams that were bad this last year, you have hope going into next year that you might get it right. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. We pretty much know who we think is going to be good and who's going to be bad going into next year, but there's always a surprise. So that hope is legitimate in the NFL, and we get to see that hope on full display tonight. I, for one, cannot wait. It is the marriage of the two. I love it every single year, and I know the production value of it's going to be through the roof.
0: Chad, I, I, you had a, a discussion on this earlier this week, but Leah Thomas had uh, said that uh, it's tough for her to wrap her mind around the fact that people can respect her as a woman while also viewing her as competing as a man against women in female athletics. In, in a, Biologically, women's uh, women competed against women. And... I know you have another example of someone you're hoping to hear from, but we have heard from Martina Navratilova who said, sorry, Leah, it is unfair. And stop telling the feminists how to be feminists. Um, there are others that come to mind who should step up and say something.
2: Yeah. We got into this earlier in the week, but I really think there's another uh, female tennis star of the past that could really help this. And that's Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King is sort of the godmother of Title IX. And every time there is an equity in women's sports issue, every time there's a women's sports issue at all, Billie Jean King oftentimes will, will chime in as a leader in that, and for good reason. Because of, of everything that she's been involved in, going back to the battle of the sexes against Bobby Riggs in Title IX, she has been an advocate for women and women in sports. She's been remarkably silent on all of this. And I don't know if it's because she thinks, if she has one opinion that does not necessarily go with a party line, that she is going to be you know, outed as something other than a progressive or whatever Billie Jean King calls herself politically. I hope that's not the case. But I think Billie Jean King could help this cause a lot by speaking. I'm not here to tell people what to speak on. You can stand for whatever you want or nothing. That is your choice. But I will say, Martina Navratilova saying this is great. I'd love to hear Billie Jean King's thoughts on this. And maybe she agrees with Leah Thomas. I don't know. I'd like to hear from her one way or the other, though, at some point, because she is a proven leader in the world of of women's sports. And I'd love to know what she thinks about all this. More
0: and more are speaking up on it, and more and more are saying what we've said from day one. It's a no-brainer. It's common sense. Men competing against men. Women competing against women, biologically. It's tough to argue the other side of that. And the only argument is, oh, you're treating me as a woman here, but you can't hear. I mean, Martina Lova's
2: response, though, is perfect. Yeah. Because Leah
0: Thomas says, you know, we respect
2: her identity. We just don't think it's fair. And then the response is, uh, newsflash, Leah, it's not fair. That's exactly the right. common sense that we've been saying and a lot of others have been saying. And I do think that chorus is growing louder and stronger across media and sports media. But, again, Billie Jean King, someone of that level. We know what Megan Rapinoe thinks, who's also been a leader right. in women's sports and women's equality. And she is throwing her hat in the ring to take Title IX, where it's going to negatively affect women, which blows my mind. So I'd love to hear from
0: Billie Jean King on this. Chad, ESPN has fired a Major League Baseball reporter Marley Rivera because... I mean we've seen reporters get into it in locker rooms right oh yeah um Physical. just, uh, physically physically <laughs> yes yeah uh it just it just so happens that uh, she dropped a bomb on uh the wife of the vice president of communications for major league baseball and this all stemmed from Rivera setting up and waiting on an interview with Aaron Judge during a Yankees and Angels series um and there the the other reporter was there covering
2: Shohei Otani,
0: but was also jumping in and trying to interview Aaron Judge. And turns out that Rivera turned around and, well, dropped the C-bomb to the wrong reporter in this case.
2: Yeah, and the reporter came out and said, you know, I apologize, no excuse, but there were extenuating circumstances, but there's still no excuse. And then ESPN's comment was, she no longer works here. Oh, okay. Well, that'll that'll be the end of that. Um, If you're going to throw out that word, you better make sure it's not to someone uh, whose husband can get you fired. Yes. And that's the the case
0: here. Uh, We will continue to monitor the details of the Lamar Jackson contract extension, but when we come back, Josh Heupel, head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers, what, maybe is upwards of three players, potentially, in the first round tonight. We will... We'll see. But what we do know is he has either coached or coached against four of the potential five quarterbacks who could be drafted tonight. The head coach of the balls joins us next on Hotline. NFL Draft coming up later this evening as Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, joined by Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel. Coach, big night for your group and a big night for quarterbacks that you've either coached or coached against. You've done that with four of the five that could go in the first round tonight, so um, you're either going to have flashbacks of great performances or uh, memories of, well, teams that Got ahead of you a bit. How are you, man?
1: Well, oh, mo- mostly uh, good performances on uh, on tonight. If uh, if you look at this group, but uh, what a what a great night! Really excited for our guys uh, this entire weekend, and, and certainly the guys that uh, have an opportunity to go tonight. Really proud of what our guys have done throughout the process, and uh, this is a great culmination of it.
0: From where we had Hendon Hooker on earlier this week, and when the injury occurred, the the emotions of an injury, especially at that position, knowing where he was headed that season for the team, individually, all of it, to see him climb back up with the rehab and go through the entire process and have the opportunity to still be drafted in the first round tonight means what to you?
1: Man, uh, undescribable. Um, words can't express. Uh, how mature he is and just how he's handled the process, but the excitement that everybody in the building that I have for him too. Um, you know, this is a guy that uh, helped put Tennessee uh, back on, on solid foundation and, and uh, built us to, to where the trajectory of this program is today. Uh, this young man um, is going to have a great career and you can look back at the obstacles and the things that he's had to endure during the course of his career to understand that this guy is going to handle anything and everything that's thrown at him. Uh, you talked about the season that he was having, really the the Heisman front runner until he gets injured, uh, devastating injury emotionally and and physically uh, to the end of that season. But it shows the maturity that uh, that Hendon has and who he is in his core and how he's handled this process on the back end is indicative of what he's going to do when he gets to the NFL.
2: And listening to some of the evaluations on Hendon Hooker, it feels like some people are confused with quarterback friendly offenses meaning quarterback easy offenses. And it's yeah. not easy on the quarterback in your offense with what you're asking them to do within your offense. Can you help explain to those that you know are watching the game and seeing all the points being scored and they hear things like system quarterback and all of that, but the intricacies of what goes into playing quarterback in Josh Heupel's offense is a little bit more difficult than I think a lot of draft pundits are laying out there for everyone.
1: Yeah, it's comical um, to the layman's eye. A tempo of offense, and maybe this was the case, you know, 15 years ago. Um, you know, took all the the decision making off of the quarterback. Man, uh, our quarterbacks control everything. Hendon uh, controlled the run game, run run checks, loaded box checks, uh, going to a pass play, alerts, kills. He absolutely had to make a decision on every single play, and that can be in the RPA uh, RPO game, or just base uh, running and pass plays, and. Uh, I think that's a part of the reason you look at his injury and you know him really probably sliding uh, into the latter half of the second round as the draft process started, then getting a chance to see his football IQ as he's gone through these meetings with guys and understand his knowledge and understanding of protections, his ability to manipulate and change the protections to get him protected, uh, his ability to control everything that we're doing on every single play a huge part of why he's continued to push up the draft boards
2: and I think a great selling point for Hendon Hooker was how he handled not being the starter initially and then when given his opportunity with the injury to Joe Milton you know you you never saw a guy who seemingly was pouting on the sideline he was always a good teammate and he came in there and he made the most of it if you're talking to NFL teams out there how big of a point is that with you of how he conducted himself during that time when he wasn't the guy
1: Well, I have been talking to uh, to quite a few of them uh, about uh, Hendon and and all of our guys. Uh, I I think it it shows that he's the consummate pro and he's going to compete at a really high level every single day. He's going to have a positive impact on his teammates every single day. And that's whether everything's going perfect for him or whether uh, it's not. And he faces a little bit of adversity. Uh, He's a mature young man uh, that uh, is a dynamic leader inside the program and absolutely uh, has a focus on what he wants to do to continue to get better and a dynamic playmaker on Saturdays and will be on Sundays, too.
0: Josh Heupel with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. What do you make of this quarterback class as a whole, Coach? Just uh, what you've seen, who you've coached against, and how it all measures up to what's going to be an exciting first round?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of really good players that uh, have a lot of physical attributes and, and uh, you know, played, you know, throughout the courses of their careers. Uh, some of them really consistent. Some guys uh, spiked and had some highs. Um, at the end of the day, um, you know, time's going to tell them this, this draft. Uh, I know this. If I had a selection uh, here tonight, uh, the only name that I'm calling is Hendon Hooker.
2: So I, I know, you know, a lot of the talk about Bryce Young will be centered around height. You, so far at Tennessee, you've had quarterbacks that are big, you know, Joe Milton going to be your starter this year, Hendon Hooker, you've got a freshman that's six foot six coming in. I'm curious, is Josh Heupel quarterback evaluator, just in general, not about one specific player, are there specific parameters you're looking for from your quarterbacks in terms of, of, of height in your offense, or is it player to player based on their skill set?
1: Yeah, height uh, is a luxury. It's not a requirement to to play this game at a really high level. Um, you know, on our previous stop, we had two guys that uh, weren't 6'5", that uh, played at an elite level, too. Uh, at the end of the day, I think you got to look for intangible traits, competitiveness, ability to handle adversity, um, smart, able to process. Uh, I think that's absolutely critical. And a guy that uh, is going to fit inside of, uh, you know, your culture that you're trying to create inside of your your building. And, um, you know, then you go to the physical traits, of being able to spread the ball sideline to sideline, push it vertically, be extremely accurate, pocket movement, all the things that you need to, to go play at a really high level. Scouts are going to find
0: players regardless of where they're playing. But Jalen Hyatt, after the Alabama game, compared to before the Alabama game, what was the interest level like for him?
1: No, I think he was on everybody's radar. As guys come through, um, you know, when we do our pro day, uh, we we pair it with our, our spring practice. So guys get a chance to come out and evaluate some of our young guys that will be draft eligible the following year. Uh, We do the same thing throughout training camp and and during the course of the season. Jalen was playing at a really high level before the Alabama game. Um, He was a special playmaker. His vertical speed, uh, his competitiveness, uh, how much he had grown fundamentally in understanding of our scheme, but just fundamental growth and understanding of general football knowledge um, from his second year to third year is why he was playing at that level there's no doubt that you know the saturday against alabama helped uh pique his interest from everybody across the country with the performance that he had Um, i'm not sure that i anticipated five touchdowns from him but i expected (laughs) a big day from him uh but that's who he is as a player man and and uh, i'm so excited for him it's it's a great lesson the more you put into it the more you get out of it for everybody inside of our building Uh, His best football is still way out in front of him, but he's got elite traits that are going to allow him to be really successful at the next level. Well,
2: and you had mentioned talking to a lot of these NFL people about your players, like like coaches will do. When you're talking about the receiver position specifically, and I'm going to save the next receiver for Hutton because he thinks this guy might be the best receiver in this entire draft, but specifically about what they're doing on the field in terms of reading defenses within your offense... What are you telling NFL people about what you're teaching within that offense for your receivers that will translate to Sundays? Well,
1: those guys got a great understanding of coverage coverage recognition, safety rotation, in the type of techniques that they're seeing uh, from, uh, from defenses. And that can be in our our base splits, but as much stack formation and some of the bunch sets that that we run, those guys are accustomed and used to playing in, in uh, a lot of different formations. So uh, to me, I think, you know, that translates over to the next level Uh, their football IQ, their understanding of, of, you know, coverages and technique uh, correlate over to them making a quick transition into that league.
0: What do you make, Coach, of the, the the naysayers who say that Hyatt can't run the full route tree? That's what we've heard as to why he can't be a first-round pick.
1: Man, uh, he's ran everything across the middle. Uh, he's able to find space. Uh, he's able to run deep posts, deep post corners. Uh, he can run an out and up. You guys saw that against Alabama. Um, he's got the ability. Uh, you know the way we run our routes. Uh, we're rolling into the middle of the field. Uh, that's an easy transition to uh, to roll into the outside if you want to throw, you know, five and ten yard out routes as well. Um, I think everything that we're doing uh, puts these guys in a position to be extremely successful as they transition into uh, to the NFL. Our base splits are a little bit different. Um, I think you're going to continue to see some people um, transitioning some of what's happening in the college game and certainly what we're doing offensively uh, into the NFL. And if I get any more questions about our stacks and uh, that type of thing from NFL coaches, um, I'm going to make sure that I put a a hard wall up here and none of that information (laughs) gets out.
0: (laughs) What works is copied, so it'll be in the NFL. Don't worry about that. Josh Heupel with us uh, from Tennessee. So Chad allows me to, to set this up because I'm, I think Cedric Tillman's going to crush it in the NFL. I, I think he's one of those, one of those dudes that's going to give you three, four catches a game. And I think a lot of these receivers are going to be four or five games out of this pot of games that'll be really good. I think Tillman's going to be someone you can count on week in and week out. And I love him because he wants the football in the big moments, even if he's not the number one option on the said play. Am I an idiot for thinking this? Because he's the second biggest receiver in this class to only Johnston from TCU. And I know he's coming off injury, but I think there's great value in bringing Tillman onto any locker room and any roster. And I think a contender is going to see that.
1: Yeah, no no doubt. Uh, The two guys that we have in the draft, a little bit different in their skill sets and their body types. Um, played different positions while they were here. They're both consummate pros in the way that they approach uh, themselves, walking into the building, the purpose and the work ethic, the show and the ability to uh, to affect their teammates. Cedric's going to be a great player at the, at the next level. Unfortunate you know, that he missed eight, nine games this year, didn't get a chance to play uh, while he was healthy, except for the first couple of ball games of the year. Uh, great teammate, wanted to come back and try to help us, was able to do that. And uh, I think he's handled the, the draft process extremely well as he's gotten healthy. Listen, he's big, he's strong, he's got great football IQ. He's gonna do a great job in one-on-one situations. He knows how to manipulate and use his body uh, to create an advantage against the defensive back that can be over the middle of the football field, that can be uh, vertically down the, the sideline. Um, he's gonna be a guy that will play for a long time at a really high level.
2: The first thing people bring up with Darnell Wright is his silencing of Will Anderson in that Alabama game. But you got to see a lot more of Darnell Wright than just that one performance. What would you say about him and your time there in Knoxville and what he brought to the table as a right tackle?
1: Yeah, I I just love his development as a person, uh, truly uh, becoming comfortable in, in who he is and what he wants to do every single day. Uh, His football IQ with Coach Ellaby, our offensive line coach, just grew so much in his understanding. It matters to him a great deal. He's very prideful, uh, and he's developed great work habits. Uh, Darnell is as gifted of a a young player as I've had up on front, and I've had some great ones that are still playing on Sundays. Uh, He's got a rare athleticism at 335-plus pounds, Uh, got great power out of his hips, Um, he is going to be a guy that will be able to play on the edges for a long time. And you saw this year against some of the elite pass rushers inside of this league and really inside of all of college football, they're going to be drafted extremely high uh, tonight, uh, that he was able to handle those guys for 60 minutes in a one-on-one situation.
2: Coaches at all levels are looking for guys that football is important to them, that they need it. There's a hunger for it in their lives. I think that sums up Byron Young well when you look at his story and his past and, and what he's done within your program, how can that translate to an NFL team?
1: Uh, it's, it's one of the great stories, man, that, that I've had a chance to, to be a part of and, and to see a young man that, you know, was working at a dollar general, walked onto a junior college, uh, takes the uh, advantage of his opportunity here at, at Tennessee grows and his ability to communicate uh, comes out of his shell Becomes a great leader inside of our locker room, a dynamic leader inside of the defensive line room, uh, changes the body, grows uh, his ability to spe- have speed off the edge, ability to bend, uh, the ability to drop and play inside of space. Uh, so he has the versatility to play in a four down front or a three, four uh, as an outside linebacker um just it's it's a great story this is a guy that's going to fulfill a lifelong dream change his family for the rest of their life uh his family tree and and um what a great story man just uh really proud of of who he is and what he's done
2: gotta ask you at least one about your your current team what what are your overall impressions now that you're done with spring practice done with the spring game i know it's all about recruiting right now you're going to be taking part in some celebrations this evening also for the nfl draft with some of your guys but Where do you feel like you guys are right now?
1: I love where we're at. Uh, you got to have great urgency as you continue to move forward. Uh, Our offseason was great before we got to spring ball. I thought urgency, uh, preparation, uh, gaining strength and size and ability to bend and, and change direction. I thought we made real strides individually during that time period. Spring ball was extremely physical. They were intentional in the way that they worked um we got better throughout the course of it we had 18 uh mid-year enrollees high school kids that came into our program thought they were as mature a group as i've ever been around i love the length athleticism that they they bring they got to really continue to push forward through summer and and be ready to put themselves in a position to earn some playing time in training camp we've handled the first two quarters of our off season really well Uh, we got to finish this semester the right way, but June and July are going to be critical, uh, put ourselves in a position to have a great training camp. We handle the summer the right way. Um, I, I really like where we're heading.
0: Josh Heupel with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on the Outkick Network. Since 2007, each and every year at this time, the SEC puts more players in the league drafted than any other conference. How difficult is it to reload as a head coach in this conference?
1: It's extremely difficult. This is the the most competitive league in in all of uh, college football. And that's because of the players that are located inside of this league. Uh, You're playing against guys that are going to be playing on Sunday, really at every position, every single week. Some of them are are draft eligible and on their way out. Uh, Some of them are just young that uh, are continuing to grow in in their path as a player. Um, Great coaches. Uh, You're going to face great scheme every single week. You got to be able to, to, be a step ahead of uh, the game as it evolves during the course of the year. So extremely difficult at the end of the day, the most important thing is how we're doing everything that we're doing inside of this building, extremely competitive, continuing to grow. Uh, You got to handle yourself in a really mature way. Last year has nothing to do with this year. No different than one play doesn't have anything to do with another during the course of the game. You got to have the right mindset and approach everything the right way. If you do, then you're giving yourself a chance when you get to kickoff.
2: We've seen Deion Sanders lose 55 players to the transfer portal, and that's obviously an extreme example. But this is a transfer portal era that we live in now. I'm curious, Coach, with your program, how much of the way you attack the transfer portal is a plan versus how much is reactionary based on what happens within your program? And sometimes that could be a surprise when someone enters that portal. How much of it is reaction to something? How much of it is proactive from your standpoint?
1: Well, we try to be proactive in in everything that we're doing. Um, managing your roster certainly is more difficult today than it's ever been inside of college football. You try to create a great culture and you try to be honest and transparent with your, your players. Let them know where they're at and how they continue to grow. That's been the way that we've been able to keep. Key components to our roster, such as a Joe Milton here, when everything's not been perfect. Uh, they believe in the culture, they believe in their teammates and their coaches. They love the journey that we're on. They know that they are continuing to get better as a player, even if they're not starting on, on Saturday afternoons. Within that, you know, the portal for us is similar to what junior college used to be uh, in the past where you're trying to patch your roster. Uh, It could be at a certain position or a certain side of the football based on uh, being deficient or being low in numbers. And certainly, uh, as we got here, our scholarship numbers were extremely low. We were at 67. We weren't at a full 85 last year. Um, you know, We've continued to supplement our roster. There's essentially almost two recruiting classes that were gone from our roster when I arrived. Um, we've continued to try to patch that, but we're going to be a developmental uh, program. I, I think you got to build this from the ground up with high school kids. You've got to continue uh, to develop and, and build the culture that you want and develop these guys within your scheme.
0: Coach, do the new clock rules in college football affect you and your offense more than the average offense, or is it about the same, where it's not going to stop now after a first down?
1: Yeah, I don't think it affects what we do when the ball's ready to play. The clock was starting. We're going to be able to play with uh, the tempo that we've played in recent years. The duration of the game will be different. You know, subtly the uh, statistics or uh, points because of the possessions may be coming down uh, based on the time frame of the game. That would be the only change. But actually how we play from from snap to whistle and during the four quarters of play will not change. Do you like the rules changes? Man, I, I don't know. College football has been uh, been really good. Uh, love the product. And I think, uh, you know, you can tell that uh, the fans in this country loves the, the product uh, just based on viewership. Um, you know, we'll be able to tell a whole lot more on the back end of it, um, whether it's uh, it's right for, for TV and the, the audiences live in person.
0: We like the change. We, we we don't like the change. We like the separation between the NFL and college. I
2: personally. like the differences. I celebrate the yeah. differences of NFL and college. Chad so. said that better. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want I,
0: I don't want the the blending of the two, I guess is what I'm saying. I do think half times too long, coach.
1: <laughs> how how much you want to cut that down?
0: Let's get it down to I mean, 12 to 15. If you want to reduce the world, su- yeah. if you want to reduce <laughs> the, the length of a game, to me that's the that's the glaring I it, spot you, right there. You can't
1: there. do that. You 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 can do that. Uh, you're not going to take away from uh, the bands uh, jumping on the uh, the 50-yard line and get ready to go. <laughs> that, that's part of the the pageantry of college football. But uh, that's not a bad idea if you want to shorten the game, uh, shorten uh, that window down a little. How
0: bit. much time do you really need as a coach at halftime?
1: Man, we use every minute of before we get back out on the field. Um, we absolutely do. Just uh, our staff gets together uh, on the offensive side of the ball and. Uh, continue to work through the adjustments, make sure that we got a real, um, you know, plan of, of how we're going to attack the, the second half and, and give our kids uh, some things uh, to be ready for as we go out on the field. Uh, we do that on the defensive side of the football as well. We
0: there, need every minute, too, because the beer lines are long at yeah. halftime in New England. <laughs> there's,
1: hey, let's, let's work on <laughs> shortening those up.
0: Yeah, there's, there's never been one time,
2: though, Coach, where you're like, man, we had a really good first half. When is this band going to get <laughs> off the field? Because I want to yeah. get back out there right now. You're looking at your clock, like seven minutes are still <laughs> left. That's never <laughs> happened
1: one time. I, uh, I mean, you've seen us play. Maybe occasionally that happens.
0: <laughs> it's always with with your players achieving the the dream of of headed to the National Football League.
1: Yeah, a, a cool night uh, for for our players, uh, for our our players that are in the uh, in the building still too. Uh, you get a chance to see their teammates do that, and obviously our fan base too. It's a great night for Tennessee.
0: Appreciate you. And we'll catch up soon. Get to Nashville. Thanks, Coach. I, I appreciate it. Go big orange. There's Josh Heupel, head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. Always great to catch up with him. And he's got one of the first-round quarterbacks that will set the precedent moving forward for his program. And he's
2: got three possible
0: first-round first round picks. picks. Yeah, and he would have four if not for Tillman's injury. Yeah,
2: he's also got three maybe no first-round picks. That's what's uh, fascinating about That's, his team in this draft. and this first round. He, is, he
0: could have three, he could have none. Yeah. There are, there are some locks, though. Least oh, for the, me. There's but,
2: locks that are going to be drafted for sure. Well, let's, but it's just about when.
0: Let's discuss that when we come back. Yeah. We'll give our locks for tonight's first round as the NFL draft is just around the corner officially. Finally, uh, we'll give our predictions coming up on Hotline. All of the hype and the drama. We're about to see it all play out. NFL draft coming up. Hot mic with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Been a fun show. It's time for our locks headed into the first round. Chad, I'll get it kicked off with Jalen Carter. He's my favorite player. I, would, I think he's the best player in the draft based on production. Oh, he takes plays off. The dude is as dominant as any player in the draft. And there's no way he's last at number four. Philadelphia is not going to have a chance at him unless they trade up because Seattle or Detroit will draft Jalen Carter, number five or number six overall, and they're getting a bargain where they're drafting him. That's my lock for tonight.
2: I totally agree with you. I think he's not going to last long at all. Philly's not going to have an option. Philly's not going to have an option at him, and I'm going to go big and say B. John Robinson's going pretty much higher than anyone has him going. The running back. 10th overall to Philly. Lock it in. and that, Bet on it. I did it today at plus 800. <laughs> I think were the odds. I
0: love that. Bijan Robinson unless, to Philly at 10. Unless it's Atlanta at eight. But great teams, good built, like just well-built teams are going to have players like B. John Robinson. And no one's going to bat an eye, regardless of position, in a top 10 pick.
2: Do you remember when K.C. drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I do. At the very end of a first round 32nd one 32nd pick. And we thought, that's just the perfect pick. It worked out some, but not really. He's been way too hurt, yeah. Yeah, but it was one that's like, oh man, that's just KC coming off a Super Bowl, making the perfect pick for their offense. I feel like this will be the Philly pick
0: at 10. And we're all going to say, oh, that makes perfect sense. Let's find out if Davey will make perfect sense. You're locked tonight, Davey. Guys, I'm going with it. Now, it's changed, but I was able to get in on wide receivers drafted in the first round under 4.5. We've talked ad nauseum about this wide receiver class, how we just don't think there are that many guys that are for sure first-round talents. And, I mean, right now, though, on DraftKings, you can get the over 3.5 at minus 225, so the odds have shifted pretty dramatically there. But I'm at under 4.5. I think, I mean, I'm even willing to throw throw the money on 3.5 right now. I just think... Jackson Smith and Jigba, Zay Flowers, and then uh, Jordan Addison. I think those are the three that are going to go, and then we're going to cap it there. So I'm really interested to watch how the wide receiver position unfolds tonight during the draft.
2: So the over-under, is it
0: 3.5 or 4.5 right it's, now? It's now 3.5. I was able to get in at
2: 4.5. 4.5 feels like just a horrible line. Now that seems like easy money. I would take
0: the to go under, way, way under.
2: Way under on 4.5, right?
0: Way under on that. But they've adjusted since then. Where is DeAndre Hopkins going to end up? Yeah, That is a big question of this first round. Because he's available. The Cardinals are not going to keep that contract. They've got the third overall pick. He has been linked now with Lamar Jackson getting the extension to Baltimore. He's been linked to Buffalo. And then who else? There are multiple teams needing legit wide receiver help. And I'm tying this in with Davey. If you don't believe you're getting legit number one receiver help in this draft in the first round, you're trading for that dude. And you're picking up that contract.
2: I think that now that Lamar Jackson is signed and we have other offseason storylines, Aaron Rodgers traded, right? Yep. DeAndre Hopkins is the next big boilerplate issue for the NFL in terms of talk about where he's going to end up. So... I thought Hunt was about to say, and we have breaking news. We do.
0: And I was waiting on the guy who actually breaks it to break it because he's being sourced. Mike Florio says, as we go to break and as we end the show today, he's hearing that the Cardinals are trying to send the number three overall pick and DeAndre Hopkins to the Tennessee Titans for the number 11 pick plus more. The Titans are moving up to draft a quarterback, and they're also getting Hopkins. Wow. We get to react to that tomorrow. Join us at 3 o'clock Eastern right here on Hot Mic.